the Max Kellerman Show. Broadcasting live from the ESPN 690 and Ajar and Levine Studios. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 with Brent Martineau and Austin Lane. I mean, Coos, if you want to hear what Max Kellerman said right now, we can go to him real quick for a couple seconds and see what's up. I No, I was setting up your shot because I forgot to take away Brent's shot. Ah, uh, how's that shot looking right now? Money? Uh, yeah, it is. Decent? Yeah, it's fine. Dude, there might not, is there not a light on? Why is it so dark? I don't know. It's not my problem. Um, is the microphone in the right spot for me right now? We good? Yeah, you're fine. All right, fantastic. Austin Lane, Action Sports Jackson, ESPN 690. Happy Thursday, everybody. I'm joined well with Justin Coos pushing all the right buttons right now, who's facing his own infestation of ants right now, which is kind of crazy because everyone's making fun of me for having food out and attracting ants. Well, my table's looking extra clean right now. My table's feeling fine. And Kuz's room in the back there seems to have been bombarded with those mini ants that we've been talking about for the past two weeks or so now. And the crazy part is that he can't spray it because he's afraid he's going to get the the board all wet with, you know, raid and stuff. So he can't do that either. Well, yeah, it's an expensive board. The yeah. last thing I need is someone being like, hey, you owe us a new board that's like, what, $10,000? Probably even more? Yeah, go and put that on your tab. It's going to be a little pricey. Yeah, so with that being said, um, I guess I'm going to say good luck with that. <laughs> do we have a, yeah, do we have like a non, we need like a non-spray ant thing for me like an just, ant trap just use your hand or your shoe or something you're gonna be all right well, yeah you're, you're gonna be fine they're kind of in the cracks is yeah the problem. so so as you can tell brent martineau right now is mia but might be expecting him around the five o'clock hour um well, well, he was on a little trip a little excursion if you will the stream song golf course and uh it's not just a golf course man they got hunting and fishing it's kind of like a grown men camp it seems like sounds like fun and i, I don't golf and they have like 25 fireplaces at that venue and once again when you got 25 fireplaces in the middle of Florida, um, you're doing something right. Kuz, you ever been to Stream Song before? I'm not, but I actually, I actually now want to do like a golf trip out there. Like, I think that fun. would be fun. Like a Sound weekend. Pretty fun. Just a little yeah. guys weekend, me a little bad. Have you had a bachelor party? I, dude, I don't think I'm going to be able to get one in. Why? So two of my friends, yeah, that were supposed to get married, one just did, but the other one that was supposed to get married over the summer had to move his. His uh, wedding. Yeah. We were also supposed to go to Vegas in March, like Uh-oh. the week after everything shut down. So that got moved. So, like, we're waiting for his bachelor party so that I could potentially have mine. Sure. But my wedding's in April. Like, we're running out of time. We might not be able to get one in. That's a, so he can't, like, a post-wedding bachelor party? Are you allowed to? I don't I know. I mean, who says he can't? I don't know. Who says he can't? I don't know. Hey, a little word of advice, though. Don't take any pictures of it if you choose to yeah, do that. No, no photos yeah. will be no taken. No photos of it with around groups of people. But um, and listen, I, I got to set the rumors straight right now, too, a little bit before we get into some sports today. We got plenty to talk about. Yannick Ngakwe going to the Ravens, World Series Game 2. I developed a little formula to figure out just exactly who's going to land Trevor Lawrence. We're also joined by, since, well, let's be honest, Brent's not here, so I'm talking UFC pretty much the entire time. We got Ariel Hawani coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, and in just a little bit here, we're joined by the American gangster himself, the the bad guy, if you will, Chael Sonnen. Uh, and they're, they're both coming on to talk about UFC 254, coming on this Saturday. I believe the main card's actually at 2 o'clock p.m. because they're fighting in the Middle East. Um, so once again, you don't want to say, check your local listings, but it's going to be a big card, and we'll break that down later in the show. But 
I got to put some rumors, and, and I got to squash something real quick here. And it was supposed to be a joke, and no matter how many times I said this on the radio, it seems like people aren't really getting the hint right now. So a couple of days ago, Brent Martineau thought it would be funny to make fun of my, my contributions to the 2012 Jaguars for winning two games, right? I felt disrespected. I felt hurt. And as Brent Martineau always used to tell me, trust nobody in this business. Well, trust was a little bit violated. And I felt the need to take his tweet talking about my two wins in 2012. And I retweeted that, or I quote tweeted that, as the kids would say. And I directed that tweet at somebody else. Now, I'm not going to bring him up, obviously, but let's just say it might have been some competition, okay? It was all in good fun. Um, I don't, you know, in terms of, like, you know, competition, I don't care, man. Like, it was all in good fun, right? Well, I tweet at the competition, and I get that, like, when that happened, I get a personal message, a DM saying, hey, is everything okay with you and Brett in the show? And obviously, I had to reiterate, I'm not going to put anybody on blast. I'm not going to say who it was. I'm not like that. I appreciate their concern. But people were starting to get concerned that me and Brent kind of had a fallout. And then today, when I said I'm going to have the keys to myself, talk, you know, MMA, and kind of gave a little jab about talking about golf, once, once again, just kidding. Just joking, everybody. I don't mind talking about golf. I respect it. It's a sport, kind of. We found out birdies were, or not birdies, uh, yeah. bogeys were goblins. Yeah. Bogeys are goblins. Hey, golf radio, you're welcome for that, by the way, because Brent didn't know it. I'm not sure if Stuart knew that. That came from me. So you're welcome. So anyways, I put out something about, you know, MMA. I'm talking about it today. I had the show to myself for at least a little bit here. And once again, I get another direct message from a different person. Hey, is everything okay with the show and, and you and Brent? So number one, like I, I appreciate it because it shows that people are actually listening, right? And that's always a good indicator. And number two, it shows that people actually care about the show. Believe me when I say, and Brent's gonna be here hopefully, you know, in, in a couple hours or so. He can he can verify this too. We're all good, okay? We were joking around. Now, did I tweet at the competition and maybe want a shout out from them? I'm not going to say no. I'm not going to say maybe I didn't want to get my beak a little wet and see if they had an offer for me. Now, was I going to take the offer? No. Did they want to see the offer? Maybe. Maybe wanted to get my beak wet a little bit and see what they were bringing to the table. But at the end of the day, here's where I stand. I tweeted at them, okay? And they didn't tweet me back. Now, they follow me, so they saw the tweet. I had like 25 people like that tweet, so they saw the tweet. They have time during the day to to tweet at Mo Southwest like 30 times per pop, but you can't even hit me back. So as far as I'm concerned, they don't exist to me anymore. It is what it is. You know, I'm, I'm 690 till I die, right? I'm the leader of the syndicate, for crying out loud. I'm not going anywhere, and neither is Brent. So once again, for those of you that are sliding in my DMs or mention me on Twitter, I I appreciate the concern, but I assure you, Brett Martineau and I are all good. It's crazy that I had to put that out there, Coos, but people were, were concerned. Well, yeah, I mean, once he finishes his day suspension, he'll be good and back. <laughs> <laughs> I may have tattled on him a little bit. Yeah, it is what it is, but he's enjoying a nice vacation, as he should. Hardest working man in the sports media, especially in Jacksonville. Yannick Ngakwe. You know, <laughs> it's funny because I... I don't go on Twitter a lot during the week, obviously to, for promotions and, and sometimes news stories or sometimes to see the chaos right now that is the, the New York Jets. And I go on Twitter this afternoon and I see that Yannick Ngakwe was traded to Baltimore. Now, I think this was an Adam Schefter tweet. I'm not going to lie. I had to check it twice. I had to check that blue check mark and then I had to check the Twitter followers. 
because I was not buying it. The Minnesota Vikings, who gave you know their draft capital to get Yannick Ngakwe to pair with Hunter, now all of a sudden up and trade Yannick Ngakwe to the Baltimore Ravens? Excuse me? Huh? So the, the Minnesota Vikings right now are obviously, they're in full tank mode for Trevor Lawrence. And later on in the show, I'm going to say why that's a bad idea and why they aren't even in the top three, top four, probably top five chances of getting Trevor Lawrence. I'll talk about that later. But I found the reaction on Twitter, I don't want to call it baffling, but I was, I, was, I was a little taken back by Jaguars fans about this trade, right? Because from, and keep in mind, I mean, this may be a majority, this may be a minority, I don't know what it is, it's just what I saw. And I saw Jaguars fans watching Yannick Ngakwe get traded to Baltimore, bring up the Jaguars again, and the organization, right? Like, what a joke of an organization the Jaguars are, yada, yada, yada. And as I sat there and kind of just being infatuated with his tweets, I kind of felt the same way. Like, for some reason, Yannick Ngakwe going to the Baltimore Ravens made me upset about the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I'll be honest, I had no idea why. Why would I be upset about the Jaguars? They already traded him away. They washed their hands of the situation. No, it didn't end perfectly. They got something for him. Probably could have got a lot more, like Brent and I were talking about, if he would have held on him a little more. But that, it is what it is. But I'm sitting here wondering, why am I still upset at the organization for how it, how it turned out? Now, I'm happy for Yannick Ngakwe. I never had a problem with Yann, okay? And I think a lot of people had a problem with Yann. Yes, there was the, the negative incident where he went after Tony Khan a little bit. And, you know, that, that was in a bad light. That probably should have never been done. Tony Khan clapped back. You know what happened there? Tony Khan, 10-8 round. It is what it is from Tony Khan. So I didn't agree with that decision right there because that was a Hail Mary that backfired in Yann's face. But at the end of the day, the guy was very clear what he wanted. And at the end of the day, I'm sitting here October 22nd, 2020, and I'm telling everybody right now, for what he got from the Vikings, for, you know, for, for the money and everything, for the, you know, taking a pay cut, whatever. But now for a guy to be essentially back home, playing for the team that he wanted to go to all along, Yannick Ngakwe has won. Okay? Now, it may have took a while to get there. May have gone through some trials and tribulations, if you will. But Yannick Ngakwe has won. So once again... I'm sitting here, I'm wondering, well, the player won. Why should I be 100% happy about that, right? Like the Jaguars wash their hands of them. Why do I saw this pit in my stomach thinking about the Jacksonville Jaguars? And then it dawned on me. And then I understood where the frustration on Twitter and Facebook and all your social media platforms was coming from and losing out with Yannick Ngakwe and him going to Baltimore. It, it was like a bright light, and I, it finally dawned on me. Yannick Ngakwe going to Baltimore is going to be a good thing for him and the Ravens. And in doing so, it's going to be a reminder for Jaguars fans how they lost him. Come with me here. Imagine like losing Yannick Ngakwe. Imagine losing Jalen Ramsey. Imagine losing out to Allen Robinson, not re-signing him to a contract. Imagine losing out to Clayus Campbell or Leonard Fournette or Ronnie Harrison. Imagine losing out to all those guys, okay? And imagine that they go someplace else. It's almost like a breakup, right? It's almost like a breakup where it's like, all right, well, you guys are gone now. I want to wash my hands. I want to move on. I want to delete you from Facebook. I want to never see you again. I don't want to be reminded of you. Not saying that they're bad people because obviously they're not. Clay is Campbell, one of the best human beings on the entire planet Earth. I'm just saying we don't want to really see those guys have success because it's a reminder of what we could have had in Jacksonville. 
And if you don't think my point's proven, go back to week one. Go back to Ronnie Harrison's mentions when the Cleveland Browns – well, it wasn't week one, I'm sorry. Go, go, I think it might have been week one. But go back to Ronnie Harrison's mentions when he wasn't playing. Go back to Leonard Fournette's mentions when he had a bad game and the Bucks got beat week one. Go back to Yannick Ngakwe's mentions when the Vikings got beat week, beat week one and the Jacksonville Jaguars beat the Colts. Everybody was saying, all right, we'll see you, Jan. We'll see you, Calais. We'll see you, Ronnie Harrison. What's up, Jalen Ramsey? We're 1-0 and right now. How are you guys doing? Right? Like, we, we, we had that for, like, Jaguars fans had that to put over everybody else. And that was a great feeling. But then what proceeded to happen? Loss after loss after loss. And now all of a sudden, you see Clayus Campbell have, like, four or something sacks in, in one game. And he's the AFC Player of the Week. You see Jalen Ramsey putting up numbers on pro football focus where he's like the best corner in terms of passes thrown to him, whatever. It's super scientific, nerdy stuff. But take my word for it, Jalen Ramsey's good right now. Okay? And then you have Yannick Ngakwe who has more sacks than the entire Jaguars organization right now. And you have all this stuff going on, and it's just a reminder. It's a reminder of what this organization let go and what have we gotten for it. And Allen Robinson, same thing. Allen Robinson doing his thing in Chicago, right? Probably going to get a new contract here pretty soon, any day now. So all those guys succeeding, especially on you know decent teams now like the Ravens, especially a team that can maybe go to the Super Bowl, that's just a reminder to Jaguars fans of what could have been. And people don't like to think like that. I like to think like that. I don't think anybody likes to think like that. And, and that's the problem right now this team finds itself in. And Jaguars fans find themselves in. It's what have we gotten for Jalen Ramsey? Well, let's be fair. We still have some draft picks to go with that. But right now you have C.J. Henderson. Well, let's be honest, everybody. C.J. Henderson, at least right now, he's not Jalen Ramsey. No, that's not a fair comparison. That's what people want to compare him to. Yannick Ngaka, what have we got for him yet? Well, nothing, essentially, because it was a fresh trade. Calais Campbell, what do we get for him? A background pick? You know, that's not, I mean, nothing really. A.J. Boye? Yeah, you know, so when I bring up these names and we see them have success, and I'll I'll be honest, I'm sure we're going to see the Ravens in the divisional playoff game or the AFC championship game. I'm sure Yannick and Gakwe and Clarence Campbell will each have two sacks apiece and it'll be trending and Jaguars fans will be left thinking, oh, I remember those days. That's where we're at right now if you're a Jaguars fan. And that's not a great place to be. We want a clean break. We want to move on. But with these trades and everything, it's a daily reminder of what could have been. And that makes it harsh to be a Jaguars fan right now. More after the break here on ESPN 690. Brent Martineau. Uh, then I said, still looking for his fourth career sack. Austin Lane. I'm spending pretty much every single day with somebody for pretty much two years now that you know somebody. And they surprise you. <laughs> I sit here before you right now, and I am surprised. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Hey, welcome back to Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. We'll be talking a little MMA here in a second, seeing how I'm, I'm driving the car essentially by myself right now. And guess what, everybody? Despite what you see outside, it's going to be clear, sunshiny uh, skies out there, and it's going to be a pretty smooth ride. Trust me. But we, we got some comments right now on the text line or whatever you want to call it. But I seem to have struck a nerve, Kuz, a little bit with uh, comparing Yannick Ngakwe to an ex-girlfriend, if you will. Um, I wish I could repeat some of these comments, but for our sponsors out there and FCC regulations, I can't really repeat a lot of what I'm saying right now. But listen, 
I understand people are upset right now with Yannick Ngakwe going to the Ravens, and you probably got to watch him in the playoffs, and you got to think what could have been. All right? And it's a hard breakup, and I get that. Okay? And maybe essentially you got a second round pick and maybe a third round pick for him. But at the end of the day, the breakups happen. So go grab a, a full tub of ice cream, go watch that Ravens playoff run. Sulk if you have to, find your favorite blanket, get lost in the world, and believe me when I say it's going to be okay because I'm here for you. Okay? Simple as that. So now let's change gears a little bit. Let's get into UFC 254. And, you know, when we're talking MMA, i got to put out the bat signal. And uh, i got to try to get somebody big on the show, somebody I respect, somebody I enjoy talking to. I met this individual actually probably a year ago now almost in Miami at the Super Bowl. We are glad to be joined right now on ESPN 690 by former UFC, former Bellator fighter, um, a pioneer. No, I'm going to say the godfather of bringing entertainment and smack talk and eyeballs to MMA. He's often, he's often copied. He's never duplicated. And he's got a show with Ariel Hawani. You can check it on ESPN. Um, we are glad to be joined right now by Chael Sonnen. Chael, how you doing, man? Me never better. How's yourself? That's what matters. You know what? I'm doing fantastic, man. I appreciate you asking. Um, hey, let's get right into it. We don't have that much time, but we got to talk about UFC 254. Um, from top to bottom, I love this fight card. Obviously, we're discussing Khabib and Gagey. Um, there's something poetic, Chill, I think, about two guys who seem to be blue-collar, not flashy, don't really give you the great sound bites, but they let their skill sets do the talking. How excited are you for this fight coming up? Yeah, these guys are special. You know, I, I love the interim championships. Some guys don't like that. They think they're a placeholder. I understand that. I just think there's time for a placeholder. And by the way, Justin Gaethje went and grabbed it. So now when you're putting him against Khabib, the undisputed champion, both guys walk out there with 12 pounds of gold that claim that they're the best in the same weight class. That doesn't work. Two guys can't be number one at the same time. We're going to figure this out the hard way, and that's on Saturday. Chael, I'm surprised because if you look at the odds right now, and listen, I'm not much of a betting man when it comes to fighting because anything can happen in that octagon. But when I see Justin Gage, I see some places having plus 250. Some had him plus 300 right now. And that's shocking to me because this is kind of this is a fight of identities. We know what Khabib is going to do. And we know what Justin Gagey's going to do. The thing with Justin Gagey, though, obviously he has the wrestling to back it up, right? Khabib, probably the greatest grappler of all time in mixed martial arts. Going against Justin Gagey, who's an All-American. And for those casual MMA fans out there, yeah, that's pretty good. But we've never really seen Justin Gagey use his wrestling before. He's more of a pressure fighter, use his leg kicks, get in your face a little bit. How do you see this fight shaking out? Okay, so I love the point that you're bringing up because Khabib, while we watch him on TV, is this fantastic wrestler, but he doesn't actually have the resume behind him. He doesn't actually have an amateur career where he put on a singlet and there was a referee and put your line on the uh, you put on the put your foot on the line and your opponent will do the same. I bring that to you because I do concede that Justin Gaethje does not use his wrestling offensively, but I want to remind you he never gets taken down. He's still using that wrestling. He just uses it defensively. And the one thing about Khabib, we've seen rinse and repeat, fight after fight, championship after championship, round after round, but he takes people down. Khabib has never beaten anybody that he hasn't gotten on top of first, and I've never seen anybody get on top of Justin Gaethje. So to use both of their histories as a way of projecting their futures, I think you've got a very interesting match here. Khabib's got to get on top of a guy who nobody's ever gotten on top of. You know, and, and it's a great point. It's um, 
it's it's kind of a clash of styles a little bit. And listen, styles are one thing, but listen, and, and I'm an MMA fighter myself, and we talked about that a little bit in Miami when I met you. But to be fair, this game, it's probably more mental than it is physical. Now, I don't enjoy bringing this part up, but I think it's going to be a huge part of the fight. And regrettably, I got to do it. But with Khabib, obviously, he lost his father a couple months ago. And when you talk about Khabib's father, you talk about a guy who essentially taught him how to wrestle, who's been in his corner for a lot of fights. And I think that professional athletes, more than anything, they're creatures of habit, right? So this is going to be, this was a different fight camp, obviously, for Khabib. This is going to be a different walk to the octagon for Khabib. And one of two things can happen, I feel like. Either... He's going to use it as motivation, and like we'll see a brand-new Khabib even better, faster, stronger than before, or we see a guy who's just not all there. What Khabib do you think is going to show up here, Chael? And I think you're very well within your lane to bring that up, and I agree with you. It's a sensitive topic, but it is very relevant to this fight. Khabib's relationship with his father is something that was very public, and we all knew, and it has a bit of a Rocky-esque feel to it. It has a bit of a Mike Tyson Cusimato feel to it. And I think that you've hit it on the head. I also see it as you see it. This is either going to be a pick-me-up or, or bring-me-down. We know how strong Khabib is, right? But we do, how mentally tough is he? This is a mental drill. He's never passed. He's never uh, failed to pass a mental exercise. I think he's going to pass this one, but I do agree with you. It's going to be a different Khabib. It's either going to be one out there fighting for nostalgia, for respect, for honor towards his father, or it's just going to over, overcome him. And I don't judge him either way, but I think that you're right to bring it up because I do think it's a meaningful storyline. We always talk about this with athletes, about the focus and the mental side of it. Imagine being in Khabib's spot. It's very sad. It's very trying, but he is going to push forward either way, and I respect that. We got a few more questions here for Chael Sonnen regarding two, UFC 254. Chael, so you know what they say. Um, you're only as good as your last fight, right? And if I look at, um, you know, if I look at Justin Gagey's last fight, we had him on the show and he did his thing against Tony Ferguson. It, it was, it was a, a master class performance against a very tough individual. And if that showed us anything, it showed us that Justin Gagey, regardless of who he's going against, whether it's Al Kakui now or Khabib coming up, he's not afraid of anybody. And he essentially walked down the barrel that is Tony Ferguson and said, listen, I got the cardio, I have the violence in my hands, and I'm going to show you what I'm all about. And he passed with flying colors. And Khabib, the same thing I can think um, with Dustin Poirier. But I want to go two fights back, and I'm not sure I should be doing this or not, but I want to talk about Ally Kinsa versus Khabib. During that fight, Khabib obviously mauled him. He got on top of him, and Ally Kinsa is no slouch in himself. A very tough individual, a great wrestler with decent striking. Towards that fifth round, Ally Quinta started to get off just a little bit. Now, he didn't win the fight, obviously, but we saw Khabib, we saw him be human for once, right? And we saw a guy who was undefeated actually show, man, this guy's taking some punches right now. So as I fast forward to this fight now, Chill, I see Justin Gagey being a buffed up, uh, a better version of Ally Quinta. Is that a fair comparison or not? I think you're going down the right road. And the one thing that we did learn in that fight is most fighters and most of the greats do have more than one thing they can do, but they all have their clear favorite. They have their clear game plan. For, with Khabib, it's to get on top. And when Khabib gets on top and you get up, you're now different. You're not the same guy. He will bludgeon you, but he will also take so much energy from you. You're just not the same. Ally Aquinta was very smart in that he didn't go to the fence. Khabib does everything but is with the same setup, if you will. Okay, He does not just take somebody down. He pressures them. He puts them in the fence. Then he takes them down. If you can keep your back off the fence 
exponentially your chances of not being taken down go up. And Justin Gaethje is, I think many of us have identified this, but Justin is the first publicly to verbalize it. So I know at least that Justin knows at least he got to stay off the fence. It's not about the shot, the takedown, or the trips. It's about where it happens. Nothing happens with Khabib until he pushes you into the fence. And that's what Ally Aquinta did so well, which is why he was able to stay on his feet and find some very good moments. I don't concede, like some people, that Khabib looked terrible in the stand-up. I will just concede that he looks better when he's on top. And I think if your overarching point here is to say that Justin Gaethje may be the one guy to force him onto the feet because he can't get on top, I agree with you. We got two more questions here for Chell Son, then we'll let him go real quick. But, Chell, I got to ask you, you know, and Khabib, like, listen, I think his striking has improved. We saw that against Conor McGregor, right? But let's be honest here. It's because of his wrestling and people's fear of that. It's why his striking has got so much better. Now, listen, he, you dropped Conor McGregor, and I have to give you props for that. I look at the UFC in the landscape right now, and, and I watch the evolution of it. And it, it's called mixed martial arts for a reason, right? You just can't be versed in one thing. You kind of have to be the jack of all trades, if you will. But to me, Khabib is one of those sole guys that can be good at one thing, dictate it, and win. I mean, you know, heck, the guy's undefeated, for crying out loud. I compare him, and there's another guy by the name of Damian Maya, who is obviously a jiu-jitsu black belt who relies a lot on his jiu-jitsu to get the job done. Those are really the only two guys that I can think of who really just bring one thing to the sport of MMA. I guess my question to you is, are these kind of like, are, are these two pioneers in terms of just that one thing in MMA where they're going to go away and we're never going to see that again? Or will we see like more dominant wrestlers with, ah, okay, striking? Or will we see that jujitsu guy where that's all that he does? I think it's rare and rare that you see a specialist. I think it's rare and rare that you see a guy who has one skill, but he's perfected it. So much that even going against the guy that's okay at that skill, he can still dominate it. We don't. George St. Pierre would come to mind where he could yeah. throw everybody down. Or in the reverse of this is Francis Ngano, who appears to be a bit of a one-trick pony with his just a, you know a couple of good left and right hands. But that's the bottom point. line is, I still yeah, I still do appreciate those guys. Those guys can, can take one thing. Everybody knows it's coming. Kind of like Babe Ruth, who walks to the mound and says where he's going to put the ball. It's no secret. He puts it there anyway. I think it's special. But to your point, they are fewer and further between. All right, Joe. Well, one last question for you, man. You know I had to ask you. I'm not sure if you can comment on it or not. Who do you have winning this fight? I have Khabib. I think it's going to be a, a, a long fight. I think they're likely to go all night long. Um, but it is pretty straightforward. It's just like what Justin Gaethje said. If I can kick him four times, I can change him. If he can take me down one time, he will change me. I take him at his word. I think Khabib's going to get that takedown. Chael Sonna, man, I appreciate you stopping by. It's great to hear from you again. You're always welcome on our show, man. Open door policy. You're awesome. Thanks, brother. Thank you, man. Khabib Justin Gagey goes down this Saturday. Once again, I think it starts at 2 p.m. We're actually going to talk to uh, Errol Hawani here in a little bit about that time change, right? Because we're talking about a pay-per-view taking place in the States where it's in the afternoon. How, how is that going to deal with uh, the U.S. demographic? How is that going to do for pay-per-view buys, things like that? We'll talk about that later with Ariel Hawani. But we got a lot more Jaguars related, let's just say, when we get back here on ESPN 690. Obviously, it's great. But, uh, it, you know, Doug's got to do what's best for the organization one way or the other. And, uh, it, you know, it's not about, you know, being a friendship or anything like that. It's uh, it's about us trusting each other, and, and we're going to continue to work together as long as we can and, and try to win as many football games as we can. <laughs> 
Let me take a guess who that was, Coos. Would that be Jaguars defensive coordinator Todd Wash? Ding, ding, one for one today. I'm on fire. It's not about friendships, is it? Yeah, it's definitely not about friendships. It shouldn't be about friendships, at least. Listen, this is, I guess, I mean, there's there's a lot of things that I can blow the whistle on and, and throw the flag at and say, this is what's wrong with the NFL or this isn't right, yada, yada, yada. But it'll probably fall on deaf voices and other people want to really hear about that. Um, but there are reasons why I never really chose the coaching profession because there are a lot of politics and there are a lot of things behind the curtain that I just, that I've seen firsthand that I could just never co-sign on. And one of those is I think the fact that, you know, the, the preachiness of winning, it's found in every single locker room, right? Like if you're a player and listen, this has been ingrained in you as a player since you're in pop Warner, right? There's winning. Well, there's having fun in pop Warner, but once you get to high school, having fun comes second, Next to winning, right? Because if you're winning, well, spoiler alert, you're probably having a lot of fun. So, like, winning is always preached, and, and it's always stressed. And you get that in college as well, and then it gets amplified even more in the in the professional ranks of the NFL. And every single – I remember every single meeting to start out a training camp for, you know, the, the five years that I've, that, I've, that I've played that sport professionally – the first goal was obviously winning and going to a Super Bowl. That's what it, you know, that's what everyone talked about. When Shad Khan came in here, um, when I was essentially on my way out, and he sat down the team, and he introduced himself, he said he was going to bring a Super Bowl to Jacksonville. One of the very first words that he echoed was the Super Bowl's coming to Jacksonville. That was the goal. Now, I listen, everyone's going to say, well, where are you at with that one right now? And I, I agree, okay? <laughs> Let's be honest. I agree. But, like, that's where – that was on his mind as well. So it's on everybody's mind. Like, winning, you have to win in this game. If not, if you're a player especially, you're gone. I told a story a couple of days ago where we had Daryl Smith and Jeremy Mincy during a two-win season stand up in front of the team. I think we were on week 15 and week 16. We're wrapping up. And they said, you guys better win these games because if not, they're going to clean house and you guys are going to be gone. And you know what? They weren't wrong. Everybody was gone. I've said this before. The only guy that I played with now on that roster is Avery Jones. That's it. There is nobody else left from, you know, those 2012, you know, camp days to 2013. It's just Avery Jones. And that's it. So it shows you the turnover. It shows you what happens when you're not winning a lot. Now, yes, contracts, free agency, injuries, all those things happen. But the one common denominator is the fact that if you aren't winning, there will be roster turnover. So then let's put this on the coaching situation. And let's put this on why I have such a problem with some of the things going on in the business with coaching. Is winning important? Yeah, it can be. I think if you have a good team, winning's important. But if you go to Mike Zimmer right now and you ask him, well, you traded Yannick Ngakwe away. You sat down Daniel Hunter. We'll see how long Dalvin Cook is out. Is winning truly the most important thing right now to that Vikings organization? I'll be the first one to tell you and say it is absolutely not that important. When the Jets let Jamal Adams go, when the Jets sat Sam Darnold, we'll see when Sam Darnold comes back. He obviously had a shoulder injury. But is winning the most important thing right now in that Jets organization? To the players it is. To every single player in that Vikings locker room, in that Jets locker room, or that Jaguars locker room, winning is the only thing. Because that's all those guys know. 
and they know that if they keep on losing, it's a horrible feeling. There's nothing better than winning a football game. Take my word for it. I didn't do it a lot, but when I did, you better believe that I was at Jack's Beach Bar celebrating. Because the drinks taste better. Food tastes better. You sleep better. You want to be around your family more. You're in a better mood. When you go to the stadium on a Monday, you're in a better mood. You look forward to it. You look forward to watching the game film and getting better. Practice that week is a little easier. There are so many things that happen that after you win that I wish I could put them all in a book and maybe I will one day and I'll share those things. Like winning is the only thing. So to say right now, well, the Jaguars are tanking, the Jets are tanking, the Vikings are tanking. Listen, they may be tanking from the higher ups, but there's not one player in that locker room right now that doesn't have his heart and his mind and his body set on winning. That's the way this goes. Okay, so this is my issue with it. If you have guys like that, and take my word for it, they're like that, who are all in. But then on the other side of the coin, the guys that are running the show and coaches and GMs and the guys that are supposed to be creating the culture are essentially saying, well, yeah, this season's probably done. Trevor Lawrence looking pretty good. Justin Fields, not bad. Trey Lance, eh, maybe I'll roll the dice a little bit. When you have guys that think like that, it drives me absolutely insane because now winning is not the most important thing. The future is the most important thing. And relationships start to be the most important thing. Right? I understand what, what Todd Wash said during that soundbite. He said friendships aren't, you know, it's not about friendships. Okay. But let's be honest, Coach Wash, and I'm, I'm not going to call him Todd. I'm going to call him Coach Wash because I have respect for that dude. I've said it many times. Um, I have nothing but respect for Todd Wash as a, as a human and an individual and even when he was a coach for me. I, I respect that guy. But let's be honest here. How many times have we seen position coaches get third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth chances? And position coaches that probably have no business coaching that position. I don't want to name any names, but I, I came across a few of them in my lifetime in different teams. And those coaches, needless to say, are still in the league. And it's not just me saying, oh, well, this guy. No, I mean, you can ask anybody that I played with on those teams, and they'll tell you exactly the same thing. How is this guy a position coach? Makes no sense. Because it's all about networking in the NFL. Like, people want to put the NFL on a pedestal so much. And you know what? To be fair, sometimes maybe it deserves to be on a pedestal. But this is not one of those cases. Whether it's a job at Enterprise Rent-A-Car, whether it's a job even in this business of sports media, or whether it's a job in the NFL, it's all about connections and who you know. Look no further than Sean McVay a couple years ago. Anybody that shook hands with Sean McVay, anybody that lived in the same area code it seemed like as Sean McVay, got a job. Not because they were qualified, but because they knew him. Okay? That's where the NFL's at right now. It's all about who you know, who's going to go with you, and who you trust. Now, yes, I understand trusting in coaching circles and trusting of a team. I mean, trust is a big thing. I think communication is bigger, but you have to have some sort of trust. If not, it falls apart, whether that's a friendship, a relationship, a marriage, a football team, or a company. You have to have trust. But I think too many times in the NFL, the higher-ups, whether it be GMs, coaches, or the latter, they get so bogged down with what they know and what they feel comfortable with. And what they feel comfortable with is mediocre seasons. 
the guys out there that want to take that risk, the guys out there that maybe make that hiring where it's different, it's new, it's out of the box, usually gets results. Now, don't get me wrong. Maybe it backfires in your face and you're a worse team than you were before. But why not take that chance? I, th- there is so much complacency in terms of the NFL and the coaching landscape. It absolutely baffles me, and I'll never understand it. Because you have to ask yourselves the question, is it about winning games, or is it about when the season's over, you go over to your friend's house, you talk about the season, you share a beer, and you say, man, hopefully we get better next year. You can't have it both ways as far as I'm concerned. And you can't have it both ways if you're not having success. It's as simple as that. So I think that if you're going to ask the players every single year who come in and say, hey, the top priority guys, put it on the board, we got to win. We got to go to Super Bowl. I think it's a little far-fetched, and I think it's a little, uh, you know, I, I guess it's a little, it's, it's a sad state of affairs when you ask a player to do that. But at the same time, when you analyze a season, you maybe have four or five losses. You turn around and say, well, yeah, we still want to win, but it's not the top thing. And to me, that's how you lose culture. And to me, that's how you lose an organization. And that's why I'm so adamant, and I've been adamant, about the Jacksonville Jaguars not tanking. Like, I don't want to see them tank. I don't want to see the Jaguars have a losing mentality. I don't care if Trevor Lawrence is the next reincarnation of Peyton Manning. I really don't care. I don't want to talk about this team losing. And you know what? Those guys in that locker room don't want to talk about it. And those guys in that locker room aren't going to do it. So here in the next, uh, we'll probably see in the next 30, 45 minutes or so, I have actually have a list of, of stuff that I've broken down about who's going to land Trevor Lawrence and why. And that kind of added some criteria to it, a la Brent Martineau, who had his, um, I think he had his six things that Jaguars have to do to be successful this season, which we'll probably, you know, we'll probably go back over that um, halfway through the season. I kind of have a list of things that teams need to do right now to get Trevor Lawrence or who is going to get Trevor Lawrence based off this criteria. So that's coming up. And I also, I'm going to break down Taven Bryant. It needs to be done um, on the wall that says it all. I'm going to break Taven Bryant down. I'm going to break down this Jaguars defense. I'm going to talk about the wide nine and why it should be implemented yesterday. And we get into all that as well. First, I want to touch on a little bit. I want to talk about Antonio Brown real quick. Antonio Brown, listen, there was a trending topic last night. For no reason except ESPN decided to say, you know what? Teams are interested in Antonio Brown. Did a team sign Antonio Brown? No. Are teams interested? Maybe. But... The teams that obviously are interested right now are teams like the Seahawks. Like that, That's the big name being thrown around right now. And to be fair, does Russell Wilson really need Antonio Brown? You got Tyler Lockett. You got DK Metcalf. You got Greg Olson, who's like 50 years old, but he's still respectable. The guy is like a, a crafty veteran. He's not a bad tight end. And you always got a strong running game. Like, you have the pieces to be successful. But here we got Pete Carroll once again trying to go above and beyond to put that team over. Once again, we have the Baltimore Ravens, trying for Yannick Ngakwe. If I'm a Jaguars fan right now, isn't that where I want my team to be? Don't I want the culture in place to say, you know what? Let's go ahead and take a chance on Antonio Brown. Let's just see what happens. Let's roll the dice a little bit. If it doesn't work out, we'll cut him. But if it works out, we've seen what we can do. And yes, does Antonio Brown come with a ton of baggage? You better believe it. I'll be the first person to tell you that. And you know how I feel about some of that baggage, right? 
Um, all things considered about, you know, the, the court system and, and how those things are being handled, I'm not up to date on what the proceedings are being. I think, like, he has the eight-game suspension, and it might be more depending on what the NFLPA and the courts find. So who's to say Antonio Brown comes back after week eight? I have no idea. But I'm just saying, if nothing more comes of it, and yes, you have a guy where distractions have seemed to follow him no no matter where he goes. And you have a guy, well, you really have a team in the Steelers now who's a better organization for having let Antonio Brown go. And you have an organization, the New England Patriots, who essentially took a chance, and let's we'll talk about culture. Well, the Patriots are the culture. Who took a chance at Antonio Brown, and they couldn't even handle him. So why San Antonio Brown? Because like I said before, this game should be about winning. This game should not be about friendships and um, who you know. It should be about winning games and hoisting a Lombardi trophy. And I'll be the first one to say, I think Antonio Brown is a huge problem. I think he's a huge headache, and I think he could be a detriment to a lot of teams out there. But not the Seahawks, not the Patriots, because they have culture. They have the the means to facilitate Antonio Brown. And you know what? If if it's not going to work out, hit the road then. Simple as that. You can't do that in Jacksonville. You probably can't even take a chance on Jamal Adams in Jacksonville. Because Jamal Adams was disgruntled, obviously. He wanted out. He goes to Seattle. You think Jacksonville would have took on Jamal Adams? Probably not. But meanwhile, the Seahawks right now are undefeated and one of the favorites for the NFC. Meanwhile, right now, the Baltimore Ravens not doing too bad. And meanwhile, the Jacksonville Jaguars right now are stuck at 1-5 and five with no culture, watching these, you know, fantastic players, some of the tops of their position, go to different teams. That's not Jacksonville. More on ESPN 690 when we get back.